Macworld Podcast number 396 for February 26, 2014, brought to you by GoToMeeting by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet in person online from anywhere, anytime, and lynda.com. Learn Apple software, the latest technologies, creative skills, and more from easy-to-follow video tutorials at lynda.com slash Macworld. I'm Chris Breen, and I'm here with my colleague and good friend, Serenity Caldwell. Hi, Ren. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. And uh, we're continuing to engage in this couple of people yakking every week format. And, uh, and so Ren and I are going to do it this week. Yeah, we'll see how we, uh, how we t- give it a go. Yeah. Um, you, you sent a couple of points along. And uh, I think the most important thing happening this week is Apple's SSL scheme. Uh, nightmare, horror, <laughs> however you want to classify this thing. A big deal. And you've been covering this more carefully than I have. So generally, what's the gist here? Well, so on Friday, Apple sent out a a bug patch for iOS 7 uh, that basically said, fixed an SSL vulnerability. And no one really gave it much thought because Apple occasionally pits out these small security uh, updates. And if there's more detail, they'll cover it on their website, on their uh, KDOCS page with more detailed write-up. the weird thing started when it took a couple hours for that security update to show up on the on the knowledge base documents. And when it did show up, it wasn't just, oh, there's some, you know, small niggle with SSL. There's actually a vulnerability that allows attackers to spoof as other uh, as other websites, which is a very big deal indeed. And from there, it kind of snowballed. Of course, Apple releases this on a Friday afternoon when all of the journalists are getting ready to go home for the weekend. Right. Um, the question started being like, okay, well, this is a pretty serious flaw. How long has this been in iOS? Right. Uh, how many versions are vulnerable? Is Mac OS X vulnerable? And it turns out, yes, Mavericks is vulnerable, although previous versions of OS X don't seem to be. Um, and iOS 7 and I, um, since 2012 has been vulnerable. So iOS 6 and iOS 7. Um, previous to that, uh, there the vulnerability was not there. And so... With all of that discovered, some people went on an even further tangent. It was like, well, as everybody remembers with the NSA, uh, when we discovered the PRISM slides uh, leaked by Edward Snowden, it included uh, information saying that uh, that the NSA had a backdoor open to Apple's, uh, Apple's users' personal information, and Apple strongly denied that. And now people are wondering, well, maybe this is what they were talking about. So it's it's just been a there's a lot of panic and a lot of uh, misinformation and a lot of people freaking out right now. Yeah. So what specifically is the danger to people? First of all, let's tell people what SSL is. SSL is a way for your communications um, and what you do on the Internet via mail to be securely sent. So, for instance, your banking information, you don't necessarily want to share that with any old person listening in on the web. So you use SSL, which is called Secure Sockets Layer, and Transport Layer Security. You'll occasionally hear it abbreviated as SSL slash TLS. Um, so they're network technologies uh, that encrypt whatever you're sending between your computer and the servers that you're sending it to. So any old person can't just, you know, snoop through and be like, oh, that's what that person was doing with their banking accounts, or oh, that's what their bank account number is. Um, So in theory, in a perfect world, SSL TLS keeps your information safe as it travels through the World Wide Web. Unfortunately, there's a small error in the code, uh, which has been being called the go-to-fail error, um, which I'm not a huge programmer, so I can't really explain exactly uh, how this works. But basically, it was a line of redundant code that, um, because it was left in the Apple's security code, it caused uh, the the script, when running, to skip over the section that verifies where the connection is coming from. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, this is the signature verification section. Uh, that means that when you make an SSL connection, um, say I'm going to chase.com to do banking. And when I connect to chase.com and put in my username and password, your computer sends a ping to hopefully chase.com. And then chase.com sends a return ping verifying its signature saying, yes, I am chase.com put this connection through and do your banking. Uh, instead, 
with uh, with this vulnerability, in theory, hackers could find a way to spoof said address. So you may think that you are connecting to Chase.com when in reality you're connecting to dangerousHackers.ru or something like that. Right. Um, so it's you know it's a potentially a very dangerous vulnerability, and it's also a way for uh, for outside people to potentially listen in on what you're doing, whether to use that for nefarious gain, whether to just collect data. Um, either way, it's a it's a pretty serious bug, and it looks like it's been in uh, it's been in Apple's security system for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, and not only is that embarrassing, but <laughs> it's dangerous. It is. Now, but some people are passing this off and saying, well, yeah, but it only works on your local network, right? So if you're sitting at home and it's not going to be a big deal. And I think what some people are missing about this is that we have lots of open networks that we share, like Starbucks, like McDonald's, like airports, like anywhere you happen to be where you're logging onto an internet connection that there can be this man in the middle kind of attack where somebody is on that same network they can intercept your traffic and they can do what they like with it Absolutely. so th this isn't just like a sort of minor oops but this is a major <laughs> oh my god how did this happen yeah and the fact that it was i don't want to necessarily say passed off but um that apple published this very under the radar Friday afternoon, you know. So today, uh, as, just as we started recording this, Apple has released an update to Mavericks 10.9.2, and it fixes kind of that big issue from last week, right? Yeah. Um, thankfully, that was the, the last major patch we were waiting for, obviously, on Friday. Apple pit patched uh, the SSL vulnerability in iOS devices, uh, for iOS 6 and iOS 7, iOS devices 5 and previous uh, weren't affected, so they didn't have to get a patch. And uh, today, we, or Tuesday, uh, Apple patched OS 10 Mavericks, uh, which was supposedly the only, uh, the only system affected, although it did also send out security updates for prior versions of OS 10. Okay, and is that the only thing that's in... 9.2 or no there are actually um some some nice fixes in 10.9.2 including some mail improvements fingers crossed that actually means we get to use mail <laughs> um and uh some some perks for facetime you can make and receive facetime audio calls on your mac you can uh, use call waiting support you can block incoming iMessages from individual senders uh, something that's been in ios for a while and uh, some fixes for VPN and voiceover and audio distortion on certain Macs. Well, I know that 10.9.2 has been in beta for a while. It has. Um, I'm wondering if this was sort of one of those things where they went, oh, okay, we've got to push this out the door now. <laughs> yeah. It's, that thing is fixed. Now. Push the button. Go. Everything has to go. <laughs> yeah. Everything has to be live. Yeah, well, because it was such a... A big hole. It was. This was a big problem. Uh, I could certainly see why they would say, look, let's not just issue a small patch for this and then wait another week before we have 10.9.2 out, but rather let's just send the whole thing out now. And if there are any little holes remaining, not huge ones like the SSL thing, they can fix those in the next couple of weeks. Yes. So thankfully, uh, this was a fairly easy bug to fix, or at least it looked like it from the code snippets that we've been seeing. Uh, just a matter of making sure that SSL verification was actually happening. Uh, and now that Apple has fixed it, hopefully that means that your computing uh, online has been safe. However, that still leaves a question uh, of what happened in the past year and a half. If anybody exploited this vulnerability to steal customer data um, or snoop for email passwords, banking passwords. We we really don't know if anyone else knew about this vulnerability before Apple. Are you getting the sense that the internet is less safe than it once was? <laughs> I mean, not Why, just because Chris? of this, but I mean, we've seen all these, like the Target breach. Um, it seems like every couple of days now we're hearing about these various breaches. Yeah, well, I mean... Hackers are getting more and more sophisticated and going for bigger targets, and I, it's understandable to see why. You know, if you, if you are looking at twenty-year-old, you know, point-of-sale technology, for example, uh, it's pretty easy for for someone to, 
you know, plant an exploit in there. And if they if they can do it, if they have the technical chops and apparently don't care so much about jail time, uh, mm. there's potentially a lot of uh, a lot of profit and a lot of horrible, horrible things that a hacker can uh, can do with the technology available. Um I mean, the internet is becoming more widespread. Almost everybody has a computer now and a mobile device. So it's it's really unsurprising to me that people are targeting targeting Macs, targeting iOS devices, targeting um, mobile devices, credit cards. Um, while there are vulnerabilities, there are going to be people who try and work around the system. Yeah, and exactly. Plus, we're putting more important information over yeah. the internet now. Now we've got we're not making the call anymore and giving somebody on the phone our credit card, which is totally safe, but <laughs> instead sending it over encrypted uh, connections. And yeah. uh, my wife just the other day said, "Well, I have to send. I have to communicate with somebody, and they need my credit card. Can I send it over email?" No, no, you cannot send it over email. And not just because of this, but it's in the open. It, email is typically not encrypted. Yeah. Um, and so when people don't know things like this, where you think, well, they're unsure about what is safe and what isn't, um, there are going to people be people out there who are going to try to grab that information as quickly as possible and, and exploit it. So, Why, Chris, even though you've finished Mac 101, this sounds like a Mac 101 topic. It kind of does. <laughs> I may have to do that as an addendum, how to be safe on the Internet. And it's getting harder and harder. It because is. Because there were kind of the typical steps you could take before. But I think as this SSL thing shows us, you can make all the best efforts in the world and if there's something flawed in the infrastructure, you're hosed. It doesn't matter what you've done. Yeah, you can build a really safe car, but if there are potholes in the road, you may still get a, sleep, a flat tire. Yep. Okay, so Internet, please fix the potholes so <laughs> that we can drive more safely on our, in our cushy cars. Kind of in line with this, I had a, uh, I had a topic that maybe joins in with this. And also uh, a recent event, which is, uh, it was recently Steve Jobs' birthday. On, it was. Uh, February 24th, he, uh, he would have been 59. And I've, I have to do this delicately because I don't really want to start a subject with, if Steve Jobs had lived, <laughs> but um, given the occasion of his birthday, a little bit about this SSL thing, um, I'm wondering if Apple would look significantly different if Steve were here to celebrate that birthday. And some of the premise of here is, I mean, the SSL thing is is clearly a big oops, but Apple's had other oopses. But I'm wondering about kind of the, what I'm seeing is maybe um, greater sloppiness in some of the stuff that Apple's doing. Let's yeah, say, I agree. Uh, yeah, Touch ID on iPhone 5S, right? I think you wrote a piece about this. At one I time. did. Is it working any better for you? <laughs> it, you know, it's Touch ID has um, pluses and minuses. It works really well for me if I scan multiple angles of the same fingerprint. So if I scan my finger with going straight down and then at 45 degree angles on either side, I almost never have an error. Uh, the main problem with Touch ID is that your fingerprint is constantly being reanalyzed and reread when you are scanning it. And occasionally, if you have gunk on your finger or if you're scanning it in a weird way, that might be able to corrupt the uh, fingerprint data into such a way that when you scan your fingerprint again, Touch ID is like, no, that, that doesn't quite look like mm -hmm. your, your thumb or your index finger. I'm not going to let you in. Um, and that's resulted in a lot of people having a lot of fun with Touch ID in the first week and then having it slowly degrade to the point where they're very confused and angry because Touch ID is no longer opening their phone. Yeah, you know, I don't know whether it's it's a testament to my um, impatience or the technology, but I'm almost to the point now where I just don't even bother. That when I pull out my phone, I know it's going to say, try again, <laughs> try again. Try, and I'm just not willing to try again. If it tells me one time, try again. So forget it. I'm just going to tap in my <laughs> my code. I'm into the phone. And please fix this in the next update. And uh, Anyway, so that was one example. But there's other things like iTunes Radio. Kind of a good idea, but it doesn't seem like Apple's following through on it. It kind of feels like Ping version 2, right? Where yeah. Where they, they have this great framework and they went 
above and beyond to collect a bunch of different labels and set everything up and integrate it with iTunes Match. Um, and then they've just left it alone. And I don't necessarily think it's because they're not interested in iTunes Radio or they don't think they should be in this space because clearly, you know, they, they did this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, you know, Apple has thousands of employees more than it used to, but it is still a relatively small company for the amount of stuff that it is attempting to do. And you go about, you know, what would if if jobs were still alive kind of thing. Um, iTunes Radio launching OS X and iOS at the same time. Like, these are things that sound great in practice because, of course, we want our operating systems to mm-hmm. be in sync and be released at the same time. Um, but it's resulted in a lot of sloppiness through both OS X and iOS and iTunes Radio being touched on a little bit and then dropped off. They just don't. There's not enough time in a year to do all of the updates and everything that they want to do, and that's kind of resulted in little gaps and holes. Yeah. Well, you're right, and particularly with the release of iOS 7. Huge yeah. release. Enormous. I mean, that, was, that would have been enough for a year. Yes. But to do all this other stuff, and then iOS 7 comes out, people are shocked by the design, and I don't really have a problem with that. Apple will you know, flip the table every once in a while and do something radically different. So fine with the design, but the fact is that it was, some of it was flaky, some of it, the design decisions were bizarre that you couldn't see something on there, you weren't sure what to tap. It seemed like it was released about six months too early. Mm. And so in just in kind of as part of this theme is, is there somebody at Apple there who's willing to take an idea like this and throw it against the wall and say, this isn't good enough, go back, do it again. Um, and I, I'm kind of wondering if there is this notion that stuff is getting out the door a little too soon because there isn't kind of bad dad there anymore to, mm. uh, to crush <laughs> the hopes and dreams of, of everybody working at Apple to say, no. Shake that you can't finger. Do this. <laughs> yeah, shake that finger. Or with iTunes radio to say, you know, this looks really interesting, but unless we're going to go all in, we're not going to do it. Well, you look at it in contrast to something like Beats Music. So when yeah. when that originally launched, I think everybody was like, okay, another streaming service. But I've been using it for the last, I don't know, three, four weeks. And I'm like, I really enjoy it. And they're they're doing an interesting thing in the streaming radio space that, uh, that other companies aren't doing. Um, and when you look at something like iTunes Radio, there's not really that spin. There's not that magic spark. Their content is okay. It's not something special. Um, but they're they're investing no new infrastructure into it, doesn't feel like. Right. Well, I think they're straddling kind of the Beats model in Pandora. So they're not as good as Pandora because their their algorithms aren't nearly as good. Yeah, and they're years behind. <laughs> yeah, they're years behind, right? And then with Beats, they've got real uh, people who are really taking care of uh, of creating playlists. I mean, the stuff that you find there, if you really care about music, their curation is amazingly good. It's fantastic. I'm really, really enjoying all the stuff that I've found. Yeah, and I think that's because the people there are in the music business, and they went out and found the right people to do their playlists for them. Mm-hmm. I think with iTunes Radio, I look at some of their curated stuff and say, yeah, uh, yeah. There's somebody sort of marginally interested, <laughs> but not like the old hoary guy behind the record counter, you know, who really loves this period of blues, you know, over six years, who knows the stuff inside and out. And that's the feeling I get from Beats, and it's not at all the feeling I get from iTunes Radio. No. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I think there is definitely QA and there are people in the Apple organization who are willing to put their foot down and be like, no, this isn't allowed to be released on time. And we did see, you know, even before Steve, we saw uh, little things here mm-hmm. and there uh, slip through. But there, there's definitely more of an emphasis on, I think, getting it out now then get you know release the version 1.0 and then mm-hmm. tweak in version 1. or 2.0 as opposed to we're going to hold off until it's almost perfect um, yeah yeah cuz i was thinking about that last night in because the knock on microsoft was always that they're going to put out something terrible but they're going to keep at it and mm-hmm. so version 2 will be better and it'll get better and better until of course they release a new version of windows and then it'll be terrible again and then I'm not going to say that that Apple is like Microsoft in that way because it isn't entirely, but there does seem to be a little bit of this notion that, well, it's good enough. 
And that's, again, that's where I kind of go back to Steve's birthday. If Steve were around, would we see as many of these is it good enough releases? And then there's the Mac Pro. When is that coming? (laughs) (laughs) Some people have gotten them, but yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's what people were talking about. Tim Cook is like, well, no, he's the guy who totally understands inventory. So in this case, it seems like, yeah, he understands it, but you're still not getting your Mac Pro for three months. Yeah. Not that I've ordered one. But I, of course not, Chris. No, the, um, the main thing about the Mac Pro, and I will give them a little bit of slack here, is that it is the first Mac that they've made entirely in the U.S. Yeah. in quite, you know, in quite some time. Um, and as a result, you know, there's, they're going to have all kinds of problems. I don't know if you've ever, there's a bunch of articles on the Next Factory. Um, that Jobs built uh, back when he was running Next mm-hmm. and building, you know, having those computers built. And they talked about, oh, the, these state-of-the-art machines and they're beautiful. And because it was all new technology, it broke down constantly. Right. It's like the Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland, where it's, when it first comes out, it's going to break down every 15 minutes and you're just <laughs> going to have to deal with it. But eventually it'll be really awesome. <laughs> well, I, I think that's part of um, Apple's culture as well. Is they they want to home grow a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so I think that does tend to slow things down. I think that's some of the issues with iCloud, for example. There are protocols that exist already that Apple could have used. No, we're going to do this all on our own. And so that has caused some problems for third parties, as as we've seen. Yeah. I mean, and there are some examples where Apple does really well about it, you know, like Thunderbolt um, and FireWire technologies that we thought, you know, that started out being very niche and mm-hmm. so far becoming more and more standardized in uh, in the computer sphere. Uh, but Apple can't always build its cake and eat it too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it needs to, you know, the company needs to decide uh, what it's focusing on and how much effort and work it's willing to put into things. You know, we're looking at the slate for this year, um, if they follow past, you know, past tendencies, you're looking at a new iPad, a new iPhone, a new version of iOS, a new version of OS X, possibly a new Apple TV, and possibly a, a smartwatch or a FitTech device. Mm-hmm. And you start looking at the calendar year and you're like, well, where are they going to fit everything? Because uh, there's only, there are only 12 months in the year and there are only so many engineers. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you're right. Just particularly when Tim Cook says this year we're gonna we're going into a new market, so I think that means wearable tech. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Gene Munster, but I don't think it means a real TV. I maybe I'm going to be completely wrong about this, but I really doubt that Apple will ever make a traditional television in the way that we think of televisions. You know, a set top box, yes, something that interacts with televisions, sure. An actual 52 inch LCD. Yeah, well, they'll do that the day after they buy Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break and uh, talk about GoToMeeting by Citrix. You needn't have gone to biz school to understand that it's important to build strong relationships with the people you work with. Likewise, sometimes many heads are better than one, and when you and your coworkers collaborate and brainstorm together, good things can happen. But, and there's always a but... Getting people into the same room can be difficult, and in the case of our Macworld team, for example, where you're spread out across the country, it's impossible. That's why we use GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet in person, online, from anywhere, anytime. Look, it's easy enough to gawk at each other over webcams, and there are plenty of ways to do that. But when you want to show people your work, collaborate on documents, pull another coworker into a private chat, and gawk at each other, well, there just isn't a better solution. And it's easy. Sign up for GoToMeeting from your computer or mobile device and launch your first meeting in seconds. And how do you do that? Simple enough. Start your free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting today. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code MACWORLD. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code Macworld. Okay, so the very most important part of this podcast is, and I've been dying to ask you about this for two weeks now. <laughs> um, I follow you on Twitter, and I've been seeing your threes scores, and 
I don't know how you how do you do it. Um, and maybe first of all, tell people what threes is. Okay, so threes, uh, which I covered in our staff picks column last week, is a horribly addicting little puzzle game um, that, on its face, looks like a numbers game. And if you're turning your nose up and being like, "Ew, numbers, math! I don't like math." Don't worry, it's really not about math. As I told my mother, you have to be able to add one and two, and then you have to be able to match pairs. And once you've gotten past that, it's all about spatial awareness and, and very little to do with actual adding or multiplication or anything that sends shivers up your spine in regards to mathematics. Uh, but it's a very cute little puzzler. Uh, they're funny voices. Uh, it's delightful, horribly catchy music. Uh, and I, I have just played it far too much over the past uh, the past couple weeks since I found it. So is it entire now here's the thing because I've been trying really hard I've tried to come up with strategies for this thing and I just can't you know every so often I'll hit something great and I'll get into like 3000 mm-hmm. but I'm looking at your scores you're like in 20000 uh, yeah. <laughs> what is what is a str- I mean, unless you're just playing this constantly. If you no, I not not too much. Um, when I started playing, actually, Dan Morin, our colleague, and I were playing it at the exact same time, uh, and he started playing the tutorial, and I'm like, oh, that looks cool. I'll play the tutorial, um, and I got to I think seven or eight thousand on the tutorial on my first on my first game just just for fun. And I did that. I was like, oh, wow, that was really easy. But And then I tried to duplicate what I was doing, mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out what I was doing, so I kept on getting stuck on like 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, um, just because I think I was thinking about it too hard. Subconsciously, my brain kind of knew what to do. Consciously, right. uh, I was trying to invent crazy strategies like, oh, well, maybe every time I move, I should always combine something, and that didn't quite work. Uh, so I did what any you know self-respecting geek would do. I went to the internet <laughs> and ah. uh, and looked at what other people were doing. Uh, and it turns out that by and large, there's consensus that what the so-called corner strategy works really, really well. Which the idea is to stick your highest number in a corner of the board and basically build around that. Um, and the first time I did this, I think I did it in the bottom left corner and didn't have much luck and I was kind of like, no, it takes away one of my angles of movement. That's really annoying. I like being able to combine from all angles of the board. Otherwise, I get stuck and that's awful. Uh, And I went back to it, I think, a week later, trying in the top left corner just, just for kicks. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to immediately move my highest number out of the way if I can't immediately connect something together. Um, And treating it like basically a stacking tile board where you have, say, your 92 in the top left corner, um, and then you have the next highest numbers in row uh, column two, row one, and column one, row two, uh, and then just building down like that, and then using the rest of the board uh, to collect uh, little numbers mm-hmm. at at the far right, and then make make them into big numbers at the left. So if you're you're basically merging right to left, and always trying to keep it so that at the leftmost side you have big numbers, and at the rightmost side you have little numbers, that occasionally gets messed up because of course threes is a little is a little uh, mean in that you can yeah. see what uh, what tile is coming next. Uh, you can see if it's a one, a two, or a unspecified number tile. And that unspecified number tile is usually a three, but can sometimes be horrible things like 92s. So you're like, do, 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 everything's fine. Ah, I have a 92 on the board. What's going on? (laughs) Um, So that is always a little terrifying. Um, But honestly, the, the corner strategy works and you just have to trust that like, even though it feels like you're getting caught up in a in a uh, dead end situation, you have to trust that everything's going to combine and that even if you get out of pattern, like if you do a 12, three, six going left to right, Mm -hmm. you can still turn that three into a six by using the row above or below it to merge around. Um, I really like, you know, I, I was having fun kind of deconstructing the corner strategy from just what happens if I stick the highest number into a corner and go from there? Um, so long-winded, but yeah, I, I think the corner strategy works really well. 
Um, and don't give up the first time you try it. Really kind of play around. Okay, so what's your highest score so far? 59,000-something. That was wow. yesterday, two days ago. Uh, I have it on Twitter, so I'll look. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, I, I posted, I think I posted with, I don't think I'm going to top this one, 59,709. I got wow. the elusive 1536 uh, little threes bot, which is named Terrence. Kind of I've boring never, name. I've never <laughs> seen Terrence. Terrence, hope, Terrence yeah. is rare, but I, I have faith, Chris. I think you can. I think you can do it. Well, now that I know how to do it, because I've generally just been sort of doing it randomly, <laughs> and I, and I did, you know, like you, I went on the internet, I tried the corner strategy, I tried the bottom left corner, and it wasn't doing much for me. And then there were other people who said, no, 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 you have to use the middle strategy, which is put your high scoring numbers in the middle of the board. And then I kept trying to do that. I said, well, but they keep shifting over. Yeah, so middle they, strategy drives me crazy. <laughs> It's really hard. So um, I apologize to those people who have sat through the last eight minutes going, this is a game I don't play. But you should play it. You really, it really should. Is, it's a wonderful game. It really is. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that you can spend two minutes on or, like the rest of us, <laughs> spend hours on going, no, uh, where is the elusive Terrence? Yes. And I also love that you can put it down at any time and it saves your state. So if you only have three minutes to play at a grocery store, you can do those three minutes. Or if you're starting to get frustrated, do five minutes and then put it away and then come back to it when you're a little more uh, of a puzzling mood. Perfect. All right. And we're going to take another break and hear from lynda.com. As I've mentioned a few times over the past weeks, I'm a fan of lynda.com and not just because I've recorded a number of titles for them. They do great work, and they have a lot of it. In fact, they have over 2,000 high-quality and engaging video courses taught by industry experts, and that would be me, I suppose, with courses added every single day. You find courses for every user, from beginning to advanced. Videos include animation and diagrams where appropriate, and it's easy to find the courses that you need. Lynda.com helps anyone learn creative, software, and business skills to achieve personal and professional goals. It costs just $25 a month for unlimited access to the entire course library. And it provides training to over 4 million people worldwide. Now, naturally, I'm attracted to those courses most appropriate to Apple users, including Logic Pro 10 Essential Training, Final Cut Pro 10 Essential Training, iMovie 11 Essential Training, Photoshop CC Essential Training, iOS 7 iPhone and iPad Essential Training, and my very own iPad Tips and Tricks. I'm also really keen on Ben Long's photography courses. Ben's a great teacher, and I've learned a ton from him. But Lynda.com offers far more than just Apple-related titles. You can just as easily bone up on Excel, WordPress, Dreamweaver, videography, songwriting, web development, app development, CSS, SQL, and database management. And if you'd like to hone your business skills, you can do that too with a variety of courses. Sound good? It should. It's affordable and the quality is outstanding. It happens that I've worked out a special deal with lynda.com to provide you with unlimited access to the entire library free for seven days. Visit lynda.com slash macworld to start your seven-day free trial. That's lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com forward slash macworld to start your seven-day free trial. Uh, another big thing that's been going on is this Comcast Netflix deal. And there's been various reports about it. I think when it first came out, everybody said, ah, net neutrality. Terrible, awful. This shows you that um, that net neutrality should never have been violated. And the, the gist behind that is that net neutrality is the idea that all web traffic is treated the same way. So whether you're Netflix, whether you're Joe, nobody, any traffic that goes over the internet is considered the same. You don't pay more for one versus another one. Well, then Comcast and Netflix have made a deal. And essentially what they did is that Netflix is paying Comcast, nobody knows how much, but it's probably more than $7, to have Netflix content hosted on Comcast services so that when you are a Comcast subscriber, you're going to get Netflix content much more quickly because it comes uh, in a faster route than it, uh, than it did previously versus other uh, content delivery systems. So people thought, oh, okay, well, this is a violation of net neutrality because somehow Netflix is having to pay for the privilege of doing this. Netflix then, sorry, Comcast then responded and said, no, 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 
basically what they're doing is they're paying us instead of a different provider. So yes, we're getting the money from this, but they would have been paying somebody else anyway. And this allows them to give our customers uh, greater access to this content. So it's a win for for all Comcast customers because they get better looking Netflix content. It doesn't hurt anybody else because they're getting delivery the same way they always have. So therefore, this is okay. Uh, so one, I think that argument holds some water, but there is then the question of is it anti-competitive because Comcast can now offer this better Netflix stream versus mm. me using DSL. I don't have Comcast. I can't get Comcast. So I'm always going to have sort of this Netflix that looks okay sometimes, but not great other times. If I had the opportunity to switch to Comcast, maybe I would now because they have a more attractive Netflix feed. So is it anti-competitive simply because Comcast <laughs> has enough money to pay Netflix a huge, huge amount of dough simply to get better looking streams? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I know when people, when it first came up, people were horrified because they thought actually Netflix was being like, okay, Comcast, we're going to pay you more, like you said. Um, the pipes issue, uh, which involves so-called less mile streaming, mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting one because, you, I mean, you make a great point, Chris. If Comcast can offer a better version of Netflix's uh, Netflix's content. Well, don't you want to be a Comcast customer? No. Um, and many people will say no because Comcast has horrible practices. Uh, I say as a Comcast customer, unfortunately. Ah, but how's <laughs> um, your Netflix look? Recently? My Netflix looks great, but yeah. uh, but there are plenty of other things about Comcast that I'm not thrilled about. Um, the the problem with this, right, is that the pipes that Netflix was renting before um, weren't, I don't think, directly affiliated with a network. Mm -hmm. So it sent, you know, all traffic the same same rate to each network. By partnering with Comcast, Comcast gets the ability to show Netflix at a better rate. And on one hand, you could argue, well, that's actually, that's really good because it means that instead of everyone getting Netflix for, let's say, at 720 HD content uh, and being able to stream that. Netflix allows, uh, Comcast allows you to stream Netflix at 1080p content. Um, that's a hypothetical, by the way, because I believe Comcast is offering 1080p and, and uh, 4K even next year. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you look at it from that angle and you're like, well, then that's that's good because otherwise Comca or otherwise Netflix would just be able to stream it to everybody in 720p and this allows them to stream even more stuff um, by partnering with uh, with Comcast. But uh, the part where it gets sort of into tricky net neutrality territory is if Comcast suddenly says, well, instead of that 720p that you know you're offering everybody, uh, we actually only want you to offer it in SD in 480p. Uh, and Comcast being able to basically change the terms of the agreement, this deal is getting worse all the time kind of thing. Uh, if they start messing around in that area, then I would start getting very concerned. And even, you know, even without them messing around in that area, there's the potential for them to say, well, you can't, you're, you're on our pipes, you can't stream to X competitor. Um, like, yeah. Uh, like HBO has exclusive content deals for certain uh, certain providers. The questionable thing at this point is, and I, and I think if you're a free marketer, you would just say, well, look, you know, just because some chain can serve you a better hamburger for the same price, that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that. They just happen mm -hmm. to have the power to buy better better meat, cows, yeah. <laughs> yeah, than somebody else. But then you do look at it as, you know, the market then isn't really fair. In that, you know, here's Joe ISP who's, well, I can't, I can't afford that. I can't match what Comcast is paying these people. Mm -hmm. So I'm stuck. And, uh, so I do think that that's one issue, but broadly, because this is about a podcast about Apple, what does this mean for Apple's living room efforts? Some people said, okay, well, this Comcast Netflix deal, this really puts Apple TV in a bad position because again, Comcast is going to have the ability to deliver better looking content. It can do it much more quickly. Does this mean that Apple TV now is somehow on the ropes or is this just generally the way that um, 
that providing content to the living room is going to go, that Apple is now going to start making these same kinds of deals where it's going to use its servers to deliver better quality video through Apple TV, and therefore people will get that instead of a Roku device. It's entirely possible. I mean, Apple is putting a lot of information or a lot of uh, investment into infrastructure and CDNs, Uh, but Apple also doesn't own any network piping, so it has to lease its own... uh, stuff from from the networks um however uh dan warren wrote a piece today called what we might see in the next apple tv uh where he points out that uh apple had supposedly according to rumors been talking with um time warner and we know now that comcast and time warner are looking at merging uh so that might actually be a boon for apple rather than a holdup if apple felt comfortable enough with Time Warner that they suddenly, oh, well, now we're, we're negotiating with Comcast. And if Comcast is amenable to our, our deals and our what we're proposing, then maybe things will actually go really smoothly for the Apple TV. It could also go the other way where Comcast is like, oh, all of, this, all of these deals that you were making with Time Warner, too bad. Uh, but we'll see. That that might raise some FCC red flags if they if they shut down that deal. We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and find out. Well, I think that Comcast and Time Warner have kind of a different culture, and so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out when the two of them come together. If they do, they could still have this merger turned down. That's really true. Yeah, but because I think Comcast was sort of like, no, we're just going to control things ourselves. This is how it's going to be. We don't want any interference. Where Time Warner seemed to be much more open to other deals, like the one you spoke about with Apple. Mm -hmm. So when the two of them come together whose voice gets heard. I, I hope it's not Comcast. I really do hope that they start realizing that the cable model uh, in the traditional ways is kind of cooked and it's, it's not going to last forever and that they'll be more open to kind of this internet streaming stuff. Fingers crossed. You yes. never know. Unfortunately, these big giants, their tendency is to stomp around and make a fuss and not necessarily look down at the smaller people and be like, oh, maybe one of you could take me down with a, a stone. That. Yeah, That'd but I've heard, I've heard that Comcast cares. As, as a Comcast customer, <laughs> are you telling me that's not true? Comcast cared enough to uh, to send a robot my way to tell me that I couldn't watch the Winter Olympics. So that was very, very nice of them, I suppose. Awesome. Thank you so much, Comcast. <laughs> You're doing a new thing for, uh, for Macworld that I think we should talk about. I am. Well, let's talk about it then. Okay. Um, so a couple weeks ago, we started a new column called Staff Picks. Um, which is basically a new way of letting us look at the iOS apps that we think are really, really cool uh, and unique hanging around uh, the app store. And we started off with a roundup of everyone on staff talking about the iOS apps that they are really into lately that they're having fun with. Uh, and then Dan Morin and I have been basically looking for new and interesting apps and writing up uh, reasons why we think they're pretty fabulous on uh, on our staff picks column. And so far, it's been going pretty well. I've been having a lot of fun with it. And it's a, it's a really nice way for, at least for me, to explore the App Store uh, without feeling like we have to cover every single app in the world. Because as, as, any, as anyone who has explored the App Store knows, there are a lot of apps yeah. out there. there were, are we up to a million apps yet? I think we're up to it. I think we are, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Macworld, at one point, I know we had an app guide and we were, oh, we'll have, we'll have all of the apps cataloged. <laughs> and I think once the apps got beyond 100,000 apps, we, uh, we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, no, no, we're not going to do that. Can't <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah. Can't Every app will stream. be rated. <laughs> oh, gosh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So now we're focusing on really well-made apps that spark our fancy uh, whether they be games, um, I know Dan Frakes is looking at something this week uh, that helps regulate playing time for uh, for kids in uh, in like basketball and softball games, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, I'm going to recommend one now just Go because I love this thing so much. It's called Waterlog. Have you tried it? Oh, I have. I love Waterlog. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so what it is? It's a um, I think it's a three dollar app. Mm-hmm. Um, two or three bucks. And what it does is you fire the thing up and you take a picture and you apply effects to it. Now, I, I know that sounds like every other Instagram wannabe, oh, 
gosh, you're making it look like 1950s bad <laughs> camera pictures. But what this does is, and it earns its name by waterlogging, so it turns it into a watercolor painting. And again, you've seen these filters before. You go, yeah, 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 yeah. But they're but really good. They're <laughs> really good. I have done a few things. I took a, a corner shot of a, you know my bedroom, like with a table and a lamp and a suitcase sitting there. And it was gorgeous. It was the kind of thing I immediately wanted to print on bumpy paper and mm -hmm. frame and say, oh, I made that. Um, I don't know what kind of technology they've got running behind this thing. And they have different presets, but it really is fantastic. Um, you really can take s some reasonably decent photos to begin with and then apply this watercolor filter to it and it's, uh, you get remarkable results. Yeah, I um I downloaded it on a recommendation from Jesse Char. Hi Jesse. Um and I was a little skeptical. I'm like, okay, we've seen watercolor uh yeah. filters in Photoshop before and they always look kind of half uh half put together. Mm -hmm. Um but I really love this one and I find myself like running I took a bunch of landscape photography uh photos with my iPhone uh, of San Francisco when I was still living there for uh, one of our iPhone photography books and I find myself running those old photos through the through the filter I'm like I'm going to print all of these out and make a you know a series of little square photographs to yeah. hang in my kitchen because these are just you know it it almost brings up the question of you know what can can you have art that's made by a computer mm -hmm. you know um and granted you took the photograph so it's it's still partially yours but uh it is really remarkable what their algorithms are are able to put together yeah it feels like a cheat you're right i i almost feel guilty wanting to print these things mm -hmm. but on the other hand it looks so good they're beautiful they are beautiful and i think well so what you know i'm <laughs> fine i'll just take this picture or you know i'll download a picture from the internet and i'll put watercolor on that and then i'll claim it's my image to <laughs> because i paid my two or three dollars whatever this thing cost and therefore it's my art and i now own it um what else have you used lately I, I mean, other than threes other than threes which i've been spending far too much time on um actually i've been uh using this app that was promoted back when uh when Apple uh, was first sort of showing off new iOS 7 apps called Pocket Yoga. Um, I do roller derby outside of work, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a lot of fun, and, you know, you work really hard, but sometimes it's very hard to go from a job where you're sitting or just standing most of the day to a activity that's very active and requires that you be super loose. So I've started doing uh, some of Pocket Yoga. It basically has these pre-done um, 30 to an hour long sessions of various yoga moves that runs you through the program slowly at first and then as you get more and more uh, used to the the sequences it moves faster uh, and I've just been doing that in the morning for 30 minutes and it's improved how I feel throughout the day as well as being able to go to derby and not feel like I'm completely stiff from sitting in a chair all day or for uh, from standing in front of my computer uh, and I, it's it's really well designed. It's not just you know, oh, it's yoga, fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a it's a combination of really nice design, a uh, little bit quirky. It's all uh, it's animated positions. It's not actually a real person yapping at you. Uh, it's just this beautiful smooth animation. You can set where you'd like to quote unquote do yoga. So you can do it like in front of the mountains or or in a cityscape, whichever kind of fits your fancy uh and the um the progressions are really good so it's a it's a combination of really nice ui and and nice uh nice visuals and great implementation oh well that sounds good except um i think i'd hurt myself <laughs> so they have uh, beginner programs okay well because i i relax in a different way and so i'm going to mention one other app that i like a lot and it's called sure. nature space mm. uh it's made by holographic uh audio or that's I think that's the name of the company. It's free. And um, I, without going to the point where I reveal too much about myself, I really like white noise in the background when I'm working and when I'm sleeping. And white noise is fine, but what I really prefer is the sound of real nature sounds and, and usually rain. And I've got various recordings that do this, and I play them all night or I uh, listen to them while I'm working. And they're 
they're kind of your general white noise kind of thing, which is fine. But after a while, it, it gets a little dull. Anyway, um, Nature Space has recordings that are remarkably good. Um, you get the app for free. It includes five or six uh, preset recordings, and you know, like waterfalls and birds chirping, which I find a little bit disconcerting. I don't want to hear birds chirping at me while I'm trying to sleep. But they have a couple of rain sounds that are really good. One is called uh, Backyard or something like that. And it's set in a suburban environment, which is, as a kid, oh, it's back home. So you would you hear rain on pavement, you hear it in the gutters, you hear thunder, but very distant. Um, and it's the quality and the clarity of the sounds is really good. Um, there's another one called Treehouse Rain. So if you prefer your rain coming through a tree and you're actually sitting in the tree, you really have this sense that you're in the middle of the space with these sounds coming down around you. They have other things that you can buy as well. Uh, the sounds are $2. You can buy them in collections of $10. And I think there are five or six different sounds in these collections. Really good work. I've looked, listened to a lot of ambient apps, and I'm actually have a piece coming out of Macworld, I think, this Friday about ambient uh, apps through iOS. But this is the one I like the best, that uh, if you like that kind of oceany, wind, nature, birds chirping sound, uh, nature space is definitely worth looking at. I'm going to download that right now. Yeah, give it a go. <laughs> well, thank you for, uh, for telling me about your favorite apps. Uh, as of late, Chris, these are really exciting. Well, we'll have to get together and do it again. Of course. And I think with that, we can just wrap this up. We've, uh, we've covered ambient apps. We've talked about internet security. We've talked about, well, the most important thing, of course, is how to improve my score in threes. Yes, and I expect you to be publishing much higher scores now that we've had this little talk. Well, I don't know. Now that I've seen your high score, I don't think I'll ever get there. So. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, you I know, if, if I get into the five figures, I'll let you know. All right. All right. Thanks, Red. <laughs> Take care, Chris. And that wraps up another episode of the Macworld Podcast. Sponsored by GoToMeeting by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet in person, online, from anywhere, anytime. And Lynda.com. Learn Apple software, the latest technologies, creative skills, and more from easy-to-follow video tutorials at Lynda.com slash Macworld. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at Macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening.